Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and my guest today, Jennifer Maiden, is one of Australia's most well-respected poets. She's the author of over 13 poetry collections and two published novels, now three. She's won the New South Wales Premier's Prize twice, the Victorian Premier's Prize, the Christopher Brennan Award for a Lifetime of Achievement in Poetry, and many, many other awards. And I'm sure there are more in the pipeline. Um, Jennifer and I chatted a few years ago about at, just after the publication of her prize-winning collection, Liquid Nitrogen, which subsequently won the Victorian Prize for Literature. And today she joins me again to talk about what has now become a trilogy. The Play With Knives novels. Jennifer, it's a pleasure to have you back again. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Maggie. Uh, that was, um, that's actually four published novels. Now. Four published yeah. novels, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so can I just get you to open the show by reading us a little from um, the most recent Play With Knives novel? Okay. Um, I'll, um, this is... Um... Close on three. It's uh, George and Claire and the Grey Hat Hacker. And it's, um, I'll start by reading chapter two. Um, the situation at this point in, in the novel is um, that um, George and Claire, both human, now human rights observers, um, Claire, as uh, people who know her character from previous work, um, um, as a child, uh, murdered her three siblings, and at that, uh, when she emerged from prison, George was a profession officer. Um, they fell in love, and um, their whole life has been an ethical conundrum ever since. And um, the uh, this particular novel is uh, uh, they're getting together. They're they're um, trying to solve their problems. They they're having some personal time together um, by house sitting. It's the rule. Um, uh, in a house owned by um, some people who were obsessed with D.H. Lawrence. So it's, uh, they have uh, a shared prints of um, uh, D.H. Lawrence on the wall for the Pedro. Um, so there's a fair amount of discussion of Lawrence and Lawrence's theory of sexuality, particularly in Lady Chatterley's Lover, um, where he saw sex as a uh, means of counteracting um, the bad effects of the Industrial Revolution. And... Um, uh, the, they're in a state of tension because um, uh, a woman they've both fallen in love with is, is about to be executed in Indonesia. Now, human rights observers in Indonesia separately talking to her. And um, so they're waiting in the house for the execution. Um, and they're also um, relating to each other in the process, both to counteract the effect of the execution and to um, just to develop their relationship again after a period when it's been somewhat played. So um, the period in time is totally contemporary. Um, Donald Trump is the president in America. So um, this is chapter two, but in suddenness her hair. But in suddenness her hair, now swerved side to side on his face like an animal in panic and she convulsed to sitting on the couch edge. She said, I saw them. They were Indonesian shadow puppets in a row, black on white, and there was that cackle of gums, more crackly than any fireworks, and they fell down, torn. I don't even know if I'd shut my eyes. Did you see it too? As if in that timeless life he might have. He realised I did feel it. She said, it's because we half forgot them for those hours. I'm not ready, I'm not ready. 
began a difficult guttural weeping, caught up his hands and rubbed his knuckles to her eyes, the I'm not ready becoming non-specific in despair. He said, we've postponed so many other reactions, it's just that they've all snowballed together and sprawled us like an avalanche, hitting that fissure in defences, caused by the fact that we loved her. But it's still the skyscraper surviving by not wind resisting. He found her tears between his fingers to be as intimate as fucking, moved his mouth down to taste them, softer always on the lips than other water, broken down by every catalyst that animates the human. They swayed quietly, face pressed tightly against face. Then she said, well, here we are, and we should go and cook some food, suggesting here everything was strange, functional and also non-specific. In the kitchen, they piled some of high kitchen salad on plate to cook some pasta, added to it anything likely, dill, artichokes and mushrooms, threw in old white wine and cream. They ate it at the table. The sort of laminex heating was said was why he left the suburbs. Claire spilled some sauce on it and wiped it with a cloth. She said, I like it actually, laminex. It's bright, cheap, meant to help. Heating would have done better to keep it. Better than to deregulate, end up a pig farm in a room of antique clocks. George said Keating knew Jack Lang in the suburbs, but it's as if he didn't understand, being radical is more than character. So they returned in quiet to the food. The compound they'd invented to eat tasted acceptable as often. She said, and there's lukewarm pasta left in the red pot to Johnny Depp. They took it to the rat who was ecstatic. Claire praised him again, but then started shivering on George's shoulder. He said grief comes in ways to allow the mind to function, to recover, but that's what also makes it infinitely harder. In a tone she thought like protest to some recovery provider. She tried to listen to the sea to stand calm, but always there was something painful in that wave keen outside, night overemphasizing each inevitable falling. They washed up in the kitchen. He remembered how she'd washed up decades ago when Heather was alive and Claire had visited and laughed with Sheridan in a glee of slippery tea towel cutlery. How he must have hesitated, how shocked she'd been at his perceived error, how she'd explained indignantly and sarcastically that she wasn't going to kill his daughter. Now, he said, Sheridan would be up by now in London. We could tell her how much Zahanan admired Idris. I would say at the moment she does, that she does know where he is. Claire said, good suggestion, it won't worry her if I start crying. The women talked at the same time as each other, but were obviously still able to listen perfectly simultaneously, while George finished grinning his share of the washing up. When he finally acquired the phone, he said, hi, baby, which in the flesh would have been on penalty of death. But Sheridan just said, I'm not worried, meaning not now you're going to solve the problem. But Idris had someone after him again and said he was going to stay with you for a while. She deliberately didn't say specific places. George thought he'd on a plane, but maybe not even to here. He usually stayed with Sophie. He'd deal with any Idris issues later. They were usually quite a few. He said, but are you looking after her, yourself? Her voice gave him an image of her warm auburn hair like her mother's. She said, of course, I'm not silly, and my children, I put me classroom, come round here all the time and feed me. They know Damien's not here much since he's gone to Dusseldorf to lecture. She added, I still go to the gym. She had once been a school front row forward and was squarely built to swim. He asked, why do, you, why do they have to feed you? She said they don't, but they like to, and I started it by giving them breakfast. Did you know rich English people don't know how to feed their kids? 
George and Claire went all that big on breakfast, so Claire rolled her eyes up slightly, but he asked, will you miss Edith? Sheridan said, of course, um, but will you ask him to ring? Half his things are still on the stairs and I can't throw them out in case he's hacked into the Pentagon again. So, uh, we'll, we'll leave that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Idris, of course, is a, you can hear from that, Idris is the... Well, the, the Grey Hat Hacker is two things. The Grey Hat Hacker is death, of course, as in Lowell, um, the uh, blind pruner with his nice... Um, uh, swapping about the tree of life, Mr. Um, and uh, but it's also Eden's case. It's also Idris, who's George's, you know, twenty-one-year-old grandson, who's um, got every authority on earth after him uh, for hacking absolutely anything. So, um, uh, protecting Idris and uh, smuggling Idris back so he can actually save to Russia is one of the um, one of the themes in the novel. Yes, uh, and what, what impresses me is just how much you're able to pack in, um, in, in not just in terms of themes, but in terms of political commentary, in, in terms of genres that are happening at the same time. You know, we've got this, this kind of um, almost a mystery thriller going on here around Aegis and, Aegis and um, the, the, you know, the whole hacking theme. But also there's a lot of politics happening around including political commentary on past politics i, I love the little um formica comment with um you know, uh, Paul Keating, yes, yes. in praise in praise of in praise of Lemonix, yes. yes right <laughs> and you're right he should have <laughs> so uh do, do you think about that when you sit down to write it that you know you've got so many different threads going on that you want to tie up into you know what can be read is really just a simple progressive story but there's a lot yeah. happening in there. Oh, I love being able to do that. I love, I love them. Um, 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 when I wrote the first play, was nice. I, I wrote poetry, and um, I thought, you know, how wonderful to be able to write an Agatha Christie plot. You know, um, how how clever that would be to do. And um, I, I thought of one. I thought of the the plot as a um, uh, young girl. Um, Little girl, little girl. She's a little girl, so she's not even a, a, a young woman. But uh, you know, being released from prison, and and um, and she's um, she's murdered her siblings, which which happens actually sometimes with poor girls. They do that, and um, uh, and and uh, and you put her. She's been conditioned. At first, I thought at first, paradox of the conditioning was what interested me. Um, she's been conditioned not to kill. Now, what if you put her in a situation where you want her to? Mm. Um, what, if, what if you, as in the end of play was nice, what if you put her in a situation where you want her to defend herself? Um, and will she be able to do that? And also, will she be able to defend other people? Because if she needs to, um, if she needs to um, be active, if she needs to defend herself, if she needs to attack, is she going to be able to do that? Because she's been conditioned not to. So the initial, the initial paradox, I thought of, wouldn't it be sort of really interesting at the end of a novel if you had the situation where you uh, personify, where they're really sort of personified at that point by George, is is is, is really wanting through the. Uh, most of the novel, hoping that she won't kill again, and then at the end of it, they're hoping she will. So um, that was that was my first, and I thought, oh, what an interesting plot that would be. So, um, and um, I've always had, I think poets have, have a sort of inferiority complex about being able to write plots. I don't think they can do it, and I said, oh, I can do that. Um, so I, I, I basically, and, and when I, the, the perspective I got immediately was George, first person George. Um, who would be the person who would initially not want her to kill and then would at the end of the book want her to kill. 
and to defend himself because you know more than anything else in the world and defend me what he wants his queer alive. So um um the 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 um so for me that was a big thrill being able to write this um this film plot, yeah. Um and uh, and I was able I've been able to do it again. I've been able to write more film plots which continues to astonish me. But they, they, it, it, it's um, it's a lovely thing to be able to do. You have that, that real feeling of excitement when you say, yes, this bit fits into this bit and this will actually tell a story. Yeah? Yes. yes. And, and I suppose yes. when you have three, I mean, you, you've now created a trilogy. Um, yeah. It's almost like there's a history going on as well, that this is kind of um, when you're writing through these major world events and they become the setting of your novels, it's almost like um, you know you're starting to see correspondences now that we're in the third one between what happened in the Gulf War, what happened in the you know through the first novel, and it's, it's really quite interesting from that perspective. Mm. Um, what, what's interesting to me, some people were actually picking that up in play with Nice, the first book. Um, uh, Marjorie uh, Agassan, the uh, professor at Walfley, read. Um, uh, read uh, Play With Knives and it was interesting she wrote me um, she sent me a postcard having read it and I uh, and she said it made her understand world events better and I thought oh that's good <laughs> um, but yes yeah it's, uh, she picked up that this is um, this is a way of understanding um, broader events yeah, but, but, but that's what's going on so, um, because it, 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 it was um uh, complicity, because the second book's at the time of the, uh, the first Gulf War, the first George Bush, and um, and uh, you, you again you have that paradox about when do you want violence? You know, when is violence desirable? When is it completely undesirable? And um, um, when do you resort to violence? And um, uh, uh, throughout the novels, um, the alternatives to violence are, are things that are really uh, addressed more and more. Um, Sexuality is an alternative to violence is, is of course, one of the main themes in the uh, Greyhound Hacker. And uh, writing with sex was very interesting because uh, I had to push myself like crazy. I've, I've written the amount of sex scenes before, um, but I don't think I've ever done any as explicit as this and, and for such a long period um, and worked them, of course, in with the plot because they're not just, just isolated sex scenes. They're sex scenes that integrate all the time with the development of the characters and the development of the events. Mm. Um, and um, I wrote uh, the, um, the most explicit sex scenes are all in the poetry and are all line-stopped um, and verse. Um, which is a great incentive to get people to read verse in, in the novel, I would imagine. So, um, but um, I really had to push myself all the time to do them and get myself to go farther and become more explicit. And uh, I ended up, um, at some point in the end, I think it's discussed in by the characters, but um, I ended up with this great empathy for D.H. Lawrence because yes. he had, I, realized, I realized he had the same problem. Because every now and then, um, someone criticised him, and John Sparrow criticised him for um, not being explicit enough about um, talking about um, anal sex in, in, the, in the novel. And I realised the guy was just mortified. He, he had to write about this, and, 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 and it, would be, it was probably almost beyond his experience. It wasn't beyond his experience. It was certainly beyond his literary uh, edge, you know, beyond his literary um, horizon. Um, and he kept pushing himself beyond his literary horizon in order to write the sexuality, in order to seem natural with it. Sometimes it doesn't seem natural, which is the problem. You have to be able to sound completely natural and at ease with the subject matter when you're writing sex. And um, and so I kept pushing myself to write harder, write more and more extreme, um, in order to get the tone more natural 
um, on the sex, when you get the same one actually on the sex, it's, it's one actually on everything else. Um, and it does actually expand your general diction, it expands your general writing um, uh, horizons when you write more about sex, which is, I think, one of the reasons why, why I'm a student. Um, but the characters, but, uh, of course, yeah. are very self-reflexive. So they don't just they don't just have sex. They they talk about it and think about it. And oh yeah, yeah, that, that's right. It's completely integrated, which is mm-hmm. how you again how you make it seem natural. Um, which is actually a bit of a safety net because thank God you can talk about something um, that isn't sex in the middle of the sex and, and 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 relax for a second before you get back into sort of pushing yourself and the characters a bit further. Um, but. Um, yeah, but it, it, it is integrated and it can't be self-conscious because the reader picks it up straight away. If the sexualizer is self-conscious, the reader says, oh no, you know, this is, this is not feeling right, I'm not comfortable. Yes. And the reader, has to be, the reader has to be comfortable with what you're doing. So um, you've got to keep pushing your, your limits on it, but at the same time you can't push too far too quickly because otherwise it sounds uncomfortable and the reader gets uncomfortable and then you've lost the reader. So it, it's, it's an interesting uh, balance, I think. Yes, and I suppose you never, you never wanted to descend into... You, know, you didn't want to leave the literary component of the novel, so it never descends into um, cliché or cheesiness the way, you know, the way other novels that are quite explicit sometimes explicit sometimes do. No, no. Well, this is the other thing. Of course, most of us, I mean, don't you think that might be an element of the discomfort, though? I mean, maybe cliche is a sort of self-defense mechanism. In fact, don't you think cliche always is a self-defense mechanism? Yeah, I think you're, um, you're probably right with that. I mean, mm-hmm. there are there are issues you're exploring in the novels, and and they they become increasingly complex. This idea of evil, for example, which is a you know is a constant through the three novels. What mm-hmm. is evil? Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating mm-hmm. because we're all we're all shocked. I think I, I was shocked, and I think people are shocked by the evil of an individual. Individual yes, evil yes. is shocking, but we you know it's we're always, working it's with this grand you palette. Think why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we can take that. We can we can dissociate with this grand palette, like war, for example, like the Gulf War, or, mm. you know, the, or Trump, and and everything that's going on. It's much easier to dissociate with that than it is, for example, to dissociate from what Claire does. Mm. That's that's correct. Yes, you, you you have to have it through the individual character first, the individual character on a normal human level, and you have to put in the normal human level. As much as you can. Uh, what what I try to do sometimes in the poetry and actually in the prose um, is if if I have a character who's um, um, on the world stage, that was the way of putting it, um, um, you, that you have to make them as human as you can. That you have to give them the human details, um, so that the human details of your fictional characters uh, work in with their human details um, of the of the. Uh, uh, of the world characters, so that um, the two things become more credible. Also, also very, very important, the world figure becomes accessible and changeable. Mm. Um, they're not remote on a stage. They're not shadow puppets. Yes. They, they, you know, they become someone you could talk to and say, hey, you've got a bad idea here. You, they're, they're, um, uh, Nye Bevan once said the Labor Party has too much reverence. And um, what I try to do is I take away, not, not in a bad way, I try, I try to take away the reverence so that we can actually access these people and, and uh, make decisions ourselves. Yes. Um, can we talk about the phrase? It's repeated, since we're talking about the grey hat hacker at the moment, um, the phrase, the clock moved round but it wasn't time. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's the that's the linking um refrain and that links to poetry and prose too, that's in both things. Mm. Um 
and it has multiple meanings. It changes the meaning and develops as as the um, as as the uh, narrative progresses. Um, and it, it, what it's time for is it varies according to the plot. There are many things it isn't time for. Um, and also, it, that is to suggest that things are going to happen. The things will happen, but it isn't time. So, um, and the clock, and also that the clock moving around isn't time. That there's a there's a, there's a um, another sort of time, a, if you like, a I was going to say superior type of time. Transcendental has a sort of bad ring about it, doesn't it? But it, it's um, but a, 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 a yeah, a, a larger and and a less clock bound time. Um, that's also um, that's also operating, um, of course, as events. Um, and some things that happen towards the end of the novel, in particular, are a result of that larger course of events rather than the clock time. Um, so yes, it, it, it has several meanings, and those meanings progress and change as the um, as the novel progresses, and, yes. it, 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 and it finishes on that that uh, thing. Yes, um, there's another thematic thread as well that I think maybe takes us back to the first two novels as well that George says um, at one point, and and I guess your the fact that you're a poet comes through pretty constantly through the the books. Um, there are lines <laughs> that you can really um, sink into, and and one of those is all of life is a remission. Ah, yes, yes. Um, that also seems to me like a bit of a, a thematic thread. Yes, yeah, it, it, there's, there's, um, yeah, in that case, I suppose one of the main things of the book is always mercy, um, and, um, whether it's desirable, whether, whether, um, whether we, uh, whether, um, whether mercy in the form of absolution is desirable, because, um, I, is is that the op, op, um, the opposite of existentialism? Is it is it the is is you know okay you're absolved you know you're not in, uh, engaged in the um, details of the problem of dealing with the details of the problem anymore. Um, so um, uh, hey, also of course that, that this is temporary that we 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 are fighting we are trying to find solutions but at the same time um, that solutions can't hold forever. You, we, again, there needs to be an existential mm. involvement, um, a, 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 a continuity. So yeah, that, that, and, and mer, mer, mercy is being. I suppose there's two sorts of mercy. One, the sort of mercy that, that George always gives Claire, which which is that um, you know it's not an absolution, but it's um, um, it's a tolerance and, a, and, a, and an ability to um, observe and let her progress. Um, and then there's a um, um, and then there's a sort of undesirable sort of mercy, which is rather sentimental and says, you know, don't worry, everything's absolved. Uh, you don't need to have a conscience, you know. Because yes. um, yeah. she makes uh, good. So, I mean, she she does good with her life. Yes, yes, but she does good on the basis. Um, um, but she does good on the basis that she's not not to to be doing good, but because. Um, uh, um, maybe, yeah, maybe that's all she can do. Maybe, mm. maybe, um, maybe all she can do now is, is do good mm. in, in that sense or try to, yeah. Yes. And um, I guess that goes back to your explorations of, of evil and evil and mercy, I suppose. Both of them almost maybe flip mm. sides. Mm. Um, so is it hard? Do you find it hard? And, and compelling too, because you, you've come back to the story again and again. But is it difficult to write a, in, in a setting that is 
effectively in transition always. I mean, we're here, we're in this, you know, writing about, for example, the Trump presidency is so fresh, it's so new. Fresh is maybe the wrong word. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're right in the thick of it. Yeah, um, oh, very, very fascinating. Um, very fascinating, and you can't, uh, no easy solutions ever, not even on the Trump presidency. Um, because there are aspects of the Trump presidency that, that were, were, you know, in, an, in a larger existential sense almost seem to have been, um, uh, inevitable because um, the alternative you had the very jaded and uh, and worn out um, Democratic Party, which was uh, um, which was quite possibly sort of going to end up confronting Russia, trying to um, uh, you know repeat um, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis in order to um, get um, the president, the Hillary Clinton president, um, uh, some sort of um, influence in the Senate. You know, which would have been a good thing from point of view of getting someone liberal on the high court. Well, it wouldn't have been a terribly good thing from, you know, the problem of starting another war um, in the Middle East. So um, you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got an almost inevitability in, in the sense of the good spirit of the universe wanting, um, wanting a Trump, Trump is, is, is paradoxically the lesser of two evils. Or, uh, that isn't saying much, is it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, I don't know about that. But but yes, yeah, so so it's, it's not, nothing simple. Nothing simple. We've got you've got um, you've got a um, the immediate avoidance of violence is 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 is, is um, something that isn't necessarily going to lead to non-violent consequences. No. Yes, I mean it's just it's. I suppose it's fascinating to work. And just going back to the the novels themselves, it must be fascinating for you to work. It's fascinating as a reader to look at the way it slides between this kind of fictional universe and a real universe that is very much present, not like a piece of history, but very much present for the reader. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that fluidity is interesting because, again, you've got fluidity gives moral choice. And I think when you move between that, when the imagination can work in one area, it can move over and operate in another area. Um, and, and, again, um, uh, Put more moral choice, if possible, into the into the larger area. So, so that would be the, the one of the hopes that that would that would do that. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think it's uh, using using fiction as a way of, of increasing political choice. I think is um, um, is, is valid, and, and um, um, I mean, Disraeli did it, didn't he? I mean, Sybil and the Two Nations. I mean, Disraeli sort of and, and Dickens. You know, I mean, it's a very Victorian technique in some ways. Mm. Um, so are, are you stopping at a trilogy? <laughs> or do you feel, no, do you feel like no, you need to keep no, going? I mean, my, no, my daughter I, is, is this um, wonderful sort of urge and um you know and and uh you know, she's she's she liked me to write the third play of a nice novel for her for her site which i did and i love the idea of these things being free downloads you know mm. um you know i if you, if I can recommend it if you've got a writer's block go online because it's, it's um it's, it's wonderful you know it's just a very idea that you're going to write this and then it's going to go up there and then you don't have to worry about selling and you don't have to worry about anything you just it just goes on there and someone downloads it and, 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 you know, fantastic. I mean, uh, so I... Um, well, the speed, too, uh, because so, then you, if, particularly yeah. if you're working with current affairs, you can get something up so quickly compared to going oh, the God, traditional yeah, Yes, and that's terrific. That's absolutely terrific because... Mm -hmm. um, um, so, 
Um, yeah, so she got me to do, um, she, you know, mum wrote another one, so I did, um, uh, George and Claire go hat hacker, and, and of course she wants another one out for next Christmas, doesn't she? Um, so. <laughs> what a slave driver. Yeah, so, um, so George and Claire are back in Mount Druid, she's pregnant, and oh, I've given her a bottle, haven't I? Um, 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 I, uh, I don't really want sort of in the sense of, um, I don't think it manages the plots of secret in my novels, actually. They're not that sort of filler. I mean, they move around incredibly, but they're not actually... Um, if you give the plot away, I don't think it affects them very much. That's true. Um, I would have done, anyway, so done it in a review, but um, I, I don't think it ruins the reading to know that that happens. Oh, I, I know it was at the end of the book first anyway. <laughs> uh, um, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I said the concept of the spoiler isn't something that, that my friend um, so, um, I, uh, yeah, so anyway, the next one, I've begun it, I've written the last page already, you know, okay, okay, rolling, I've got the last page there. and, um, and, uh, so I've done the last page, and I've done a bit of the rest of it, um, and George and Claire are back in Mount Druid, and hopefully it will be out for next Christmas on, uh, on Catherine's site, so, better thing. Wonderful. And, um, just quickly then, before we finish up, um, just a little promo for the metronome, and I, I do know it's also up at at, um, at your daughter's press at Claymont Press, um, yes. and can be bought in electronic form. Um, so just yes. talk a little mm-hmm. bit about it. What, what, what are we? What can we expect? Oh, okay, um, okay. Um, continues uh, the metronome. It's um, well, it's published on. It's published uh, for five dollars on download on on Claymont. I mean, there's three novels for free, of course. You can just go and download them as a PDF and then open the problem. Um, but uh, the metronome's $5 at the request of Jim Wonder who are doing the pre-edition. Pre-edition's actually out now. Um, its official publication is March, but it's actually, the paper copies are floating around now, so well, they're there. Particularly if you wanted to order them from Jim Wonder. Um, and um, I actually haven't seen them yet, but I'm, I'm told they're in the past. Um, and uh, uh, it's... Um, the metronome is um, a setting beat. The metronome is uh, the, met- the initial metronome in the uh, collection is the metronome that was played on the um, um, on the uh, radio during the siege of Leningrad um, to reassure people that the station was still there, even if the, the place was, you know, everyone was being starved out and the place was under bombardment. Um, so that's what I see the metronome as being. And, and in, a, in this t- terrible time of austerity and um, um, the hopeful time of therapy, I think, when, when, when things are changing, when, you know, you have Jeremy Corbyn sort of elected in, uh, in England and, uh, you know, finally, um, almost, um, uh, Bernie in, um, uh, in, uh, in, uh, America, um, and, and an anti-authority movement forming, um, the beat of the metronome is the beat of the anti-authority movement, um, um, like, the, as it was in, in, uh, in Russia, under the, um, in the Second World War, and, uh, just forming a beat, forming a steady beat, like a pulse beat, like a beat of poetry, um, uh, reliably still there even in the face of um, uh, uh, crisis and, um, and starvation. So that, that's what, uh, not just physical starvation, of course. And, um, and so that's what the metronome is. And then there's various forms of the metronome. And uh, uh, the, met- the characters, of course, are metronomes for each other. Arthur, like, as George and Claire are metronomes for each other. They mm. set the beat. They, they measure each other. And, um, and uh, that's all who are showing each other. 
And um, so that's just what the metronome is. There's various poems. There's um, um, uh, various characters like Corbin and um, uh, um, I've got a Yanni Barabaki poem too, and that goes towards the end. He, he sort of does a sort of uh, parallel uh, conversation with Harold Wilson, <laughs> whom he sort of uh, respected. So, um, yeah, various anti austerity figures. Um, yes. I believe Hillary's in there as well. <laughs> mm? I believe there's a bit of Hillary in there as well. A and bit of Hillary and Hillary. Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh yeah, there's, there's, a fair, there's a fair amount of Hillary and um, Eleanor in the, in the second last poem. Eleanor comforts her, so, so there you are. Um, so Hillary did get some comfort at the end. Eleanor came back to her. Um, Wonderful. I, de- I, um, I definitely look forward to that, Jennifer. And um, I think it would be fantastic to get you back on again a third time to, uh, or maybe even in person to um, to talk about the metronome solo. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'll Thank you. Wonderful. Um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for. It feels like it's been five minutes. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today, and bye for now. Thank you. Thank you, Betty.